Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Do you feel that groove? It's smooth and silky, yet complex. If you listen closely, you can hear elements that look back to the titans of jazz and funk. I'm talking about musicians like Curtis Mayfield, Miles Davis, or Parliament. We're listening to Mean Green, a track off jazz fusion ensemble Snarky Puppy's latest record, Empire Central. The group has earned endless praise for their music, even winning their fifth Grammy this year. Way back in the early 2000s, Snarky Puppy was just a dream of founder Michael League. And these days, tour life keeps the group grounded in reality. We got a chance to catch up with musician Michael League, and he joins us now to chat about their latest collection of songs. Welcome to Reset, Michael. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I want to start with the origin story. How did Snarky Puppy come to be? Uh, Well, I was in uh, college at the University of North Texas um, studying jazz there as a bass player. And um, and I was writing music that, uh, you know, I grew up mostly playing kind of like classic rock. So I was writing music that wasn't really jazz, a mix of a bunch of weird stuff. And uh, so I got a group of my friends together, nine of my friends who were at school with me to, to come over to my house and play. And we kind of just took, it was really like a way to workshop music that I was writing. And then we got a gig in like the basement of a little pizza place. And then we just never stopped. And that was 20 years ago. And that's a pretty unique name you've got there, Snarky Puppy. Where did that come from? I, I don't have a lot of regrets in my life, but uh, <laughs> but I think naming my band Snarky Puppy is probably one of the chief ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's stuck. I mean, you kept it. It's stuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the first rule, right? Is like just, you know, wrong and strong, right? Just, <laughs> just, keep, just keep it going. I use that expression no, I, all the time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I... I, I uh, it was just kind of a joke because we had our first gig and, and the last thing I was thinking about was the band name, but I didn't want to call it like the Michael league band, you know? So I, uh, so I just picked this name that my brother was going to use for a band of his, but he didn't. And and then we just never stopped playing together. So it seemed like so much work to do a rebrand. So we just kind of like stuck with it. Yeah. And then the nice, I mean, the nice thing is people remember it. I mean, it's a funny, it's a weird name, you know. It's a That's true. Name. Exactly. Very effective for, for that name recognition, for sure. Oh. And we're talking about a pretty big group. How many members do you have? Uh, we have like now 20 members who rotate in and out. Wow. You know? I, I kind of think of it like kind of like a hockey Team, where you have like you have different lines and you have line changes but also sometimes one person comes in or out you know um, yeah so yeah it's a, it's a lot of a lot of bodies why the huge roster it started out of necessity because um you know we were playing for years and years we were playing gigs that really paid almost nothing so if a member of the band had like a wedding or a, you know whatever had some gig that was actually paying them something i felt terrible trying to pressure them to play with me for 30 dollars you know so I said, okay, you know, take the wedding, go make money and I'll get someone else to play our gig. And if that someone else came in and sounded good, it felt like a waste, like a pity to just never call them back. So we kind of just like anyone who came in and played well, we just kind of kept them in the Rolodex, so to speak. And then actually what happened over time is that it became like a huge advantage for us because we could always say yes to gigs because we had three guitar players, three drummers, 
somebody's going to be available, right? Um, mm-hmm. We could always say yes to gigs. And then also having all those different personalities coming in and out uh, changes the music in a big way. I wondered if that would be difficult to, to coordinate, right? You know, making sure that everyone knows their parts or just gets to it's, a tour destination on time. It is not the easiest thing. But it's but I think the the pros far outweigh the cons. Snarky Puppy songs they're never the same from performance to performance. Talk about the evolution of your music. Yeah, it's interesting because the band I would say our mentality is like a pop band in terms of the way that we compose songs and and the way that we work and the way that we think. Like we're very very detail oriented, and um, and we write songs that have a contour and tell a story. It's not like playing jazz standards where you like play the melody one time and then, you know, people solo and then you play the melody and you're done, you know, which is also a beautiful art form. And obviously we all are jazz musicians and love it. But what we're doing is kind of coming from more like a pop mindset. But then what's interesting is then we got on stage and the jazz mindset appears, you know, which is that, okay, we have this song that's been constructed like a pop song, but like, what can we do tonight that makes it different? Um, from every other time we've ever played it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because everybody is a jazz musician, you know, there's there's like a lot of room for us to move um, within the composition, like while never abandoning, let's say, the emotional essence of, of the song. So uh, so for me, it's like a really fun balance of like having kind of this these anchors built into the music um, and this ability to really just play the song straight up and still accomplish what we need to accomplish, but then also having um, the desire to to really stretch the song to its boundaries. That's the most fun part of playing every night. Well, let's listen to another track off your latest album. This one's called East Bay. This one, Michael. This is this is one of my favorites mm-hmm. off the album. I just feel like it's it's just so easy, easy to listen to. And I was, I was telling, <laughs> I was telling our engineer that I, I felt like I wanted to just gas up my car and drive somewhere <laughs> with this song oh, going cool. in the background. point of view where did this song come from it's it's got this unique rhythm how'd you do it yeah so this song's composed by chris bullock who plays saxophone and bass clarinet and in, in, uh in snarky puppy and um it's funny you say that it feels easy because actually this is by far the hardest song <laughs> on the record and it was the one that that took us the longest to really get together the last part of the song is is very easy to play and, and has a good vibe like you said like very drive drivable driving music you know yeah but the first part is very complicated it's in a very strange time signature and the rhythms like all interlock in strange ways i think you know chris when he composes he's a really big hip-hop fan and and i think when he composes he almost like he composes in the way that kind of like jay dilla you know produced kind of takes bits and pieces of things and puts them together in a way that's that's very atypical for a jazz musician (laughs) 
You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking to Michael League, founder of the Grammy award-winning jazz fusion group Snarky Puppy. The group's on tour right now. So you've gotten to work with some pretty big names, uh, folks like the late David Crosby, Bernard Wright. Uh, this is a hard question, but do you have a favorite collaborator, maybe? No. No, <laughs> of course no, you would no. say that. I mean, you, you could have predicted that. And you know, the truth <laughs> is that even if I did have a favorite one, I definitely would not say it on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, give me a hint. But I don't. I don't. No, I don't. I don't really because, you know, that's the, the beautiful thing is that every person that you work with changes the way that you play, you know, of course, because we're not robots, right? Like we adapt to each other. Um, well, I guess soon robots will also be adapting to each other. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, but we, you know, that's what I love is when the band plays with David or played with David, you know, we played in a certain kind of way to make room for, for his guitar and his voice. But then, you know, when we played with some play with somebody like, you know, Lauren Vula or Jacob Collier or someone who's like putting out a lot of energy from the from the microphone, you know, then we're we're like playing in a very different way you know so uh and but all of it's cool all of it's cool i mean we're always just trying to serve the music serve the song serve the artist and uh and that naturally brings out different sides of you yeah. as a band i mean as you you talk about um your composers influences mentioning jay dilla there i'm curious who you grew up listening to mostly my parents music you know they were really big classic rock and soul and fan okay. and uh, funk fan so like i grew up you know zeppelin you need james brown stevie wonder you know what i mean i seen your picture And then my brother, who's five years older than me, was the person that really brought in like a lot of different music um, to my ears, you know, stuff like kind of weirder pop stuff, but also a lot of folkloric music from Ireland, from the Mediterranean, mm -hmm. especially Greece, which my family's half Greek. from Latin America, you know, my brother was really the, my, my like, my pusher, my, my music pusher, man, you know, so, um, so that got a lot of different sounds in my ears at a young age. And those, um, those musicians, you, would you say they inspired your, your work today with Snarky Puppy and beyond? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. From the very beginning, Snarky Puppy has been kind of mixing, you know, largely black American music, which is the tradition that we come from you know, with little elements from different styles of music from around the world. You know, we try to do it in a way that's respectful and, and that passes through our filter. So it's not like us pretending to be something that we're not. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, you know, you can always just take like a concept. I mean, uh, I mean, our, our nation is built on that. Like, you know, so that's what we've been trying to do inside of our band is create our own vocabulary and our own language based on different traditions from around the world. Let's talk about Ground Up your record label, uh, the initial idea, it, it was born out of frustration with the industry norms, right? So what's right. it grown into today? 
it's the exact same thing that it was in the beginning. It's just less of a mess. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I when I started it, I was the only person who worked there, you know? So, I, I mean, that worked there like it was an office. It wasn't an office. It was just me, you know? And yeah. it was a sub- Humble a beginnings. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, messy, messy beginnings. I mean, but it was a sub label on Rope It Up Records, which was an independent label. You know, uh, it started as, as an attempt to put Snarky Puppy's audience in front of all of these incredible artists that we loved and respected that were having a hard time, um, kind of galvanizing support. Yeah. You know, as as we experienced for a decade. And, and and this is kind of right when Snarky Puppy was starting to kind of get some momentum. And I felt like, well, you know, it just feels weird for us to kind of like say, OK, thanks. You know, now we are graduating to this new level and leave all of our, our all of our friends behind. So, you know, we wanted to take our fans and, and, and put our friends music in front of them. That's how uh, Ground Up Music started. And, and that's still what ground up music is doing you know i mean every once in a while we'll get a big name on the label but really the both the record label and the festival have the stated mission of of being discovery points for listeners to introduce curious listeners to music that they didn't know that they would love you're also a big advocate for fairness when, when talking about like the overlooked financial side of the music industry did you want to yeah set ground up apart that way yeah, completely. I mean, the the deal that we offer artists is is um, favorable, <laughs> you know, compared to uh, most labels. Yeah, the amount of personal attention we give to the artists is is very different from most labels. Um, and also, you know, we insist on not having any creative input whatsoever in any of the records that we release because we don't sign artists to like three record deals, two record deals. Like we treat every record differently. So it's very important to me, first off, that the artist makes the record they want to make. And then if we want to release that, then we should. If we don't want to release that, then we shouldn't. It's that simple. But trying to get an artist to change what they're doing so that it fits what the label wants to me is not, Mm. it's not cool. In 2017, you hosted the first gum fest or ground up music festival in Miami. Recently, some smaller musicians have taken to social media saying they lost money or that they, they barely broke zero playing festivals like South by Southwest. On the website for Gumfest, it says, quote, artist-centric and attendee-focused. Is that the same idea here that you were discussing? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think that the whole idea of Ground Up Music Festival is that it's small, we don't allow more than 2,000 people in per day. Um, there are two stages, but n- you never have music occurring on both stages at the same time. So if you come to Ground Up Music Festival and you love every artist and you want to see every minute of every show, you can physically do that, um, which I would also recommend <laughs> personally because I love all the artists. It's just like the label. Every once in a while, we'll have a big name. But if we do have a big name at the festival, we actually ask them to do something very different. So we had Michael McDonald, the legendary Michael McDonald come, but we had him do like a completely acoustic set where, you know, I was playing double bass, Jameson Ross was playing drum set, Chris Potter was playing saxophone, Michael was playing acoustic piano, you know? And uh, and we had Becca Stevens, Michelle Willis, and Mike Mazmaher singing background vocals. So like 95% of the artists that are playing the festival yeah. are people who probably you haven't heard of you know or maybe you've heard of a few of them but the one thing they have in common is that they're amazing and that they play live well you just had your your 2023 gum fest in february how did it go 
It was incredible. It was my favorite one this year. You know, um, we had. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, not my favorite one this year because the only one this year. My, oh, I thought you favorite, did that on purpose. No, no, no. I wish I was that intelligent. Um, no, it was my favorite one so far. I think um, just because now the festival's kind of found its footing, and and you know, we've been in the same place for six years. We know how how it, how it goes. The audience feels like family now because most of the people whose faces you see are people who've been coming since the first or second year um that's the nice thing about it just being small i don't want it to grow I, I never want it to grow i want it to stay the exact same size and i just want the the quality of the experience to go up beyond snarky puppy you have got a lot going on your most recent release was a collaboration with bill lawrence another member of snarky puppy and ground up mm-hmm. artist uh, i want us to listen to saint esteve Why take this project outside of the snarky puppy sphere? I mean, Bill and I have been great friends uh, since before snarky puppy even formed, you know, and uh, and he lives in London and I live in Catalonia and northeastern Spain. So when uh, COVID, you know, and this is I guess twenty twenty um, in like summer of of the first year of COVID. Um, all these European jazz festivals that were trying to still have their festival couldn't fill up their bills because, you know, the majority of artists that play European jazz festivals are American and mm-hmm. there was a travel ban, right? So all these festivals were looking for Americans who lived in Europe, <laughs> you know? Ah, and, I, I, and, and here I you are. <laughs> and here I am, but without my band, right? So, so they said, is there any project you can put together, you know? I said, yeah. So I put together two projects that year. One was uh, a very interesting band with Magda Yaniku from Banda Magda, um, Jorge Pardo, the, the flute legend, and, and and a couple, and Justin Stanton from Snarky Puppy, who was living in Portugal, and my friend Adrian Trujillo, who was living in Cadiz. So we put together this five-piece band. We did some gigs in the Canary Islands. And then I put together, well, I called Bill and said, do you want to do a duo? You know, because you're in England, I'm here. These festivals want to book us, you know, let's, do something interesting. And so, yeah, so we put together this, this, this little thing just to do this one Italian tour. I was playing oud and, uh, and acoustic guitar bass, and, and Bill was just playing acoustic piano. And it was just, it was like two and a half weeks, me and him in, a, in a, like a rental car, driving around Italy, going to the beach every day, and then playing gigs at night five minute sound checks it was like the opposite of snarky uh, snarky puppy wild (laughs) so well i mean i can't let this slide you're living in spain why the move it sounds awesome it is awesome i I spent 11 years in new york and um yeah and i and i loved it but i wanted to kind of shift my career more towards producing other artists and um and it was just i just kind of had like it's just hard in New York, you know, especially with studios. I had some bad luck with with, yes. with the two, two the two places that I that I was um, that I was working at, and 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 because ultimately it's like you, you're not in control there, you know. I mean, the the people who own the property are in control, <laughs> you know. Right, right, so, yeah. So so I was like, you know, you know what? I'm gonna try to find a cheap house in the middle of nowhere, somewhere on earth and put a studio in my home and, and have artists come to me, you know? And so I found that situation in, in Northeastern Spain and Catalonia and, and, uh, and yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's, 
it's great. I mean, you know, just, especially just from a financial perspective, it was, it was a great move because now I can, I can produce records and charge less, which means that inherently you work with more interesting artists. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean? That's yeah, that's, that is true. Well, it sounds yeah. like an amazing adventure before you go, Michael, we mentioned the groups on a U.S. tour right now. Tell us what mm-hmm. we can expect from your show. Give us a little preview. Well, we have, you know, 16 new songs that we just released on Empire Central, the record that came out in October. And so we're going to be playing a lot of new music. And the fun thing about that is that, you know, we like to change everything up every night. And with new songs, the changes are more dramatic because, you know, you there's more room to explore. You've tried less stuff because you've had less time with them. So, um, so right. it'll be a mix, but I would say it's going to be mostly mostly new tunes. That's Michael League, band leader of the five-time Grammy Award-winning jazz ensemble Snarky Puppy. Thank you so much for making the time for us, Michael. Thanks for having me. Let's go out on one more track from the album. Here's Free Fall. That's it for today's Reset. This episode was edited by Meha Ahmed and Ethan Schwab, who also produced this episode. If you're a jazz fan like myself, check out our conversation with Chicago's own Makaya McRaven. You can find that episode right here on our podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.